Welcome to Mindful Moments of Mars. Mindful Moments of Mars is an audio experience that uses the writings of Edgar Rice Burroughs to explore mindfulness. And what writings they are. What wondrous tendrils of imagination extended from Edgar Rice Burroughs' head probably normally kept under a hat it was a very hat the area he lived in was heavy on wearing hats so if he did have tendrils growing out of his head what better way to conceal them than with a dapper hat that would have sort of rattled around Edgar Rice Burroughs something of a he a little bit like that chef from Ratatouille where instead of having a rat on his head controlling his movements what he had was tendrils growing out of his head, which were imagination tendrils, and they're reaching across the vacuum of space towards Mars. Although they couldn't reach that far because his depiction of Mars is not realistic, so his tendrils did not successfully prod and caress the dead, rocky surface of Mars, he only uh, reached towards it with outstretched head tendrils and asked the question, what could be happening on that strange, distant world? And here is his answer. What I'm about to say, this is his answer, what is happening on that distant world? The two moved towards the workers and the hills. The little party, uh uh-oh, The little party didn't say, "Uh uh-oh, but they were on the previous page. The little party was digging tubers from the ground. She had noted this and that they nearly all... She had noted this and that nearly always they were stooped low over their work, the hideous eyes bent upon the upturned soil. She led Gek quite close to them, pretending that she wished to see exactly how they did the work and how all the time he held... I mentioned earlier in the week how it's hot. Is is the heat making me not good at reading? It's the heat. It's tiredness. Maybe I should sleep in a cold place. Maybe I should sleep in one of those ice hotels where everything's made out of ice. Um, it sounds too cold, though. <laughs> I don't want to be that cold. But um, let's, let's have another go at this sentence. She led Gek quite close to them, pretending that she wished to see exactly how they did the work, and all the time he held her tightly by her left wrist. It is very interesting, she said, with a sigh. Uh. And then suddenly, look, Gek, and pointed quickly back in the direction of the tower. The Caldene still... (laughs) This is amazing. If, If Tara's plan comes down to pointing and saying, look over there, and it works, then kudos to Kara. The Caldeni, still holding her, turned half away from her to look in the direction she had indicated, and simultaneously, with with the quickness of a banth, she struck him with her right fist, backed by every ounce of strength she possessed, struck the back of the pulpy head just above the collar. The blow was sufficient to accomplish her design, dislodging the Caldeni the lobster-head creature, from its rikor, 
headless human body thing and tumbling it to the ground. Instantly, the grasp upon her wrist relaxed as the body, no longer controlled by the brain of Gek, stumbled aimlessly about for an instant before it sank to its knees and then rolled over on its back. But Tara of Helium waited not to note the full results of her act. The instant the fingers loosened upon her wrist, she broke away and dashed towards the hills. She should have taken the, taken the sword. Oh, Tara. Simultaneously, a warning whistle broke. From Gek's, li- <laughs> from Gek's lips, I, I, it's a funny image. So he's, he has, he's literally been decapitated, and he's like, "Oh, I'll just let out a little whistle." <whistles> Simultaneously, a warning whistle broke from Gek's lips, and in instant response, the workers leaped to their feet. One almost in the girl's path. She dodged the outstretched arms and was away again toward the hills and freedom when her foot caught in one of the hoe-like instruments with which the soil had been upturned and which had been left half embedded in the ground. For an instant she ran on, stumbling in a mad effort to regain her equilibrium, but the upturned furrows caught her feet. Again she stumbled, and this time she went down, and as she scrambled to rise again a heavy body fell upon her and seized her arms. A moment later, she was surrounded and dragged to her feet. And as she looked around, she saw Gek crawling to his, prost- his prostrate Rikor. A moment later, he advanced to her side. The hideous face, incapable of registering emotion, gave no clue to what was passing in the enormous brain. Was he nursing thoughts of anger, of hate, of revenge? I, I would speculate of embarrassment. Tara of Helium could not guess, nor did she care. The worst had happened. She had tried to escape, and she had failed. There would never be another opportunity. Come, said Gek. We will return to the tower. The deadly monotone of his voice was unbroken. It was worse than anger, for it revealed nothing of his intentions. It but increased her horror of these great brains that they were beyond the possibility of emotions. And there we will uh, draw a close on the story of Tara of Helium. She was taken back to the tower. She was fattened with um, lots of food and then later eaten by Lud and John Carter never found out what happened to his daughter and the story which he was telling about his daughter and how she how she's he's always reminded of her by people playing chess doesn't make any sense and it's actually quite confusing that chess would remind him of this story because it didn't feature chess at all of course this is not true I have been leading you down the proverbial garden path the story continues as it as it is want to do and Presumably Tara will get another opportunity to escape. But that cunning plan of saying, look over there, and then running around and tripping over a hoe and then tripping over the ground itself. Uh, although, I no, you know what? It was a good plan. She knocked her captor's head off after un- understanding how those heads get connected on. She just didn't wasn't aware of the hoe placement that undid her. Um, it was a good plan. And it was well implemented, but just didn't work out. 
which is a lesson for all of us. Sometimes we make plans in life and our whole being is, is caught up in the success of them and we just want them to work out the way we want them to. But we can't control whether or not they ultimately succeed at, at the mercy as we are of hoes that are placed on the ground by careless Caldene workmen who were trying to dig tubers out of the ground, metaphorically. I don't know what they represent in this metaphor. Things that happen. That's, they're a metaphor for things that happen. Things sometimes happen that cause our plans to go awry. And the best we can do is meet that unexpected occurrence with a mindful mind. A mind that is mindful doesn't mind when when things happen that it would mind if it wasn't mindful. That's that's something you can uh, take to the bank of good phrases and say, I have a deposit. It's this phrase. And they'll say, sorry, could you repeat the phrase? And you say, yes, that's a very easy phrase to remember. The mind that was mindful doesn't mind when things happen that it would mind if it wasn't mindful. And in the bank, they'll say, sorry, uh, you can't do deposits at this branch anymore. Uh, you need to download our app. And um, this is just a hub for telling you to download our app. And you'll say, that seems like an unusual thing to exist. But they'll say, oh, it's, it's very dynamic. It's web, it's web 3.0 compliant. And you'll be like, oh, cool. Okay, that sounds good. And then you will download the app. Um, so let's take a breath. 